As we start this study in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, here's the question that I want to start out with the new year. Are you where you thought you would be this time last year? Are you thought, are you where you think you would be? Are you where you thought you would be? Are you at the place that you hope to be? Are you where you wanted to be today, this time last year? Are you? Now, I want, to take a, I want to take a personal time here, and I want us to show you a slide as we start with study, as we think about this question. Here is a, a great slide that I want you to see. Uh, you can tell that Patty and I are having a great time. Uh, the little guy on my left is Grayson. He is three and a half going on 21. He is an incredibly neat little guy, uh, processes everything to the T before he does anything at all. You could just watch him sort of probably just a great guy. He never smiles in a picture, so Doc is tickling him to make him do that. And after this picture, he said, Doc, you made me smile. And uh, so that's why we're kind of having some fun. Uh, Caroline is in my right here. Uh, she is two going on 40, I guess. She never stops and she always runs. And when she runs, it's like this it's, it's a gallop. I mean, she never walks anywhere. And she is constantly singing all of the time. And, and to, to watch her, I've got a video and I'm going to spare you. But to watch her sing Away in a Manger will drop you to your knees. In adoration to God. She is just the most beautiful thing. And maybe I'll show it to you one of these days. And then Aunt Patty is holding, uh, we call her Meredith Clare. She has two names. It's a southern thing. And they live in Asheville, near Asheville, North Carolina. And Meredith is six in first grade and reads like a fourth grader and is sort of the mother to the other two. It's a very sort of a bossy little girl who likes to be in charge, and, uh, but, is, but is really an incredibly wonderful little girl. And we obviously are having a lot of fun. And the reason why I show you this is because I'm going to tell you a story. When I was there last week, Thursday was one of the few days it didn't rain in North Carolina. And everything there is still green. And it was actually around 60 to 80 degrees the whole time we were there. And on Thursday, it was the only day that it didn't rain. And so we got to go to a place called Montreat. It is a college, but it's also a conference center that's near Asheville. And that is one of their favorite places to go. And I want to show you a picture of that next. That's what Montreat, the conference center, looks like. And we were just right there at the bank of that river. And they decided they wanted to go on an adventure. How many of you know who, um, who Dora is? Anybody know who Dora Raise your hand high. Don't be embarrassed. You know who Dora is. I discovered Dora this last week. Dora. And Dora takes her children on adventures. And so while the parents were sitting there and the kids were playing on the, you know, the slides and all of that, the grandchildren came and said, hey, Doc, let's go on an adventure. And so obviously the two-year-old, Caroline, I had to, she has to hold my finger. And we're going through the woods and around buildings and we're going on an adventure. And they were so excited to go through the woods with their grandfather. They call me Doc. And we were going through the woods on an adventure. And they kept talking about the excitement of the adventure and going through the woods. And obviously, the two-and-a-half-year-old were stepping over stuff and all that. And so at some point, my back, <clears throat> being as young as I am, got tired. And I said, this is as far as we're going. We're going back to mom and dad. And so we turned around and went back with some protest, I might add. And we went back to mom and dad. And I noticed that my daughter, who is the mother of these, those three beautiful children, 
to get them prepped to go wherever she wants them to go, always said, we're going on an adventure. And tries to get them excited about going on an adventure because of wonderful Dora. That's how she motivates her kids to get ready to get in the car on an adventure. And so Friday morning when I, and I did this routine every morning, I got up and went into the kitchen, set up my daughter's counter and made some coffee and got my laptop out and began studying while there was quiet in the house. Some of you know what I'm talking about. That's at 5 o'clock to about 7.30, and then the noise began. So I had about two and a half to three hours every morning of, of study time at the counter drinking coffee. And um, I'm sitting there on Friday morning getting ready for my message this morning, and I thought about today in preparation for this study in Philippians 3.10 through verse 16 about the adventure that we're on and about how to motivate people to go on the adventure that God has called us to be on. For what we have been called to do is to be on an adventure. We are progressing through an adventure. It's an adventure that begins with a personal faith in Jesus Christ, where we, through faith in him, place our faith and trust in him as our Savior and Lord. We are born anew by the Spirit of God, and it's at that moment that we begin this wonderful adventure. And the adventure that God is taking us on is an adventure to the likeness of Christ. He is taking us on an adventure to become like Jesus. It's an adventure, and it's an exciting thing. And as we begin the new year, I want to challenge you to begin the new year in, in the, the adventure that God has called you to experience in him. You're on an adventure. And some of us here today have been on this adventure, and at some point along the way, maybe you've said, this is far enough. I don't want to go any further than this. And you've either sat down or you have turned your back and regressed in your spiritual progress and your development in being like Jesus. The Apostle Paul in this letter is writing to some people in which he is trying to encourage them to get on board with the adventure of becoming like Christ. And so as we begin the new year, in January chap uh, chapter, in January day three, the first Sunday of the year, I want us to start strong in the new year. Because most of us, if we're honest, when we, and, and most of us have given up what we call New Year's resolutions. Anybody given those up? Why? They don't work, do they? Or do they? And the reason why most of us give up on making them is because when we make them, we have no intention in fulfilling them. Or at least we get discouraged somewhere along the way and we give up those New Year's resolutions and we stop seeking to fulfill those New Year's resolutions because, honestly, some of them are beyond the capability, the possibility of performing. But most of them are not. And so as we start off the new year, I want us to look back this time next year and not live with regret. To have started off strong and to have continued strong the entire year. Because the fact of the matter is that most of us along this adventure, like me with my three grandchildren, you get tired and weary along the way, especially with a, a, a two-year-old, you know, doing this and falling and picking them up and all of that. You, you get, and, and you, you just, I, I can't do this anymore. And so you just settle and you stagnate, you stop, and you just don't make any forward progress. So let's start off strong 
And let's continue strong. And the Apostle Paul is writing to a church in which he is trying to help them do exactly that. And I want us to take a look at five very important aspects about how we can start strong in the new year. Number one, if I want to start strong in the new year, it's going to begin with a set of priorities. It's going to begin with a set of priorities. I need to prioritize my life. And the fact is that most of us in here this morning more than likely need to set some new priorities or some different priorities than the ones that we finish the year with. Because other things have crowded into our lives and have sort of meandered their way or pushed their way into our lives. And our priorities are basically not the priorities that that really need to be for the new year 2016. So let's set the priorities here. And the Apostle Paul helps them and helps us in his writing. Philippians chapter 3 beginning verse 10. As he says, here are my priorities. My number one priority is to know Christ. So my number one priority. To know Christ. Notice how he describes this priority. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. His priority is to know the person of Christ. He wants to know the person of Christ that I may know him. Now, some of you know Christ, but do you really know him? You know about him. You know some facts about him. You've read about him in the New Testament. You may even know him as your savior, but are you growing into a deeper understanding of your knowledge of who he is? There's a lot of people that I know, but there are very few people that I really, really, really know. And it takes time for us to invest in a relationship in order for us to know someone else. And he's saying, I want to take the time to invest in the knowing of Christ. This is my first priority, is to have an intimate, personal love relationship with Jesus. Do you know him? Have you grown deeper in your understanding of who he is and what he has done for you? Do you just know him on the surface? Are you going deeper with him? Paul saying, I want to know him. Notice he says also, I want to know the power of Christ. And the power of Christ is described in this resurrection power. What did Christ do with the resurrection? He not only defeated death, but he defeated Satan, and he also defeated sin. Sin, once and for all, no longer has any control, no longer condemns us, for there's now no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus and the control of sin, once we placed our faith and trust in Christ, has been, has been done away with. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I want to be more sanctified. I want to become more holy. I want, to be, I want the power of Christ to so permeate through my life, that I become less of a sinner as I progress in my likeness of Jesus. You can't become like Jesus and continue to indulge in sin. And so he's saying, I want to become more holy. I want to become more righteous. I want the power of the resurrection and the victory of that resurrection to permeate into my life and result in sanctification, result in holiness, to result in a better or a deeper righteousness than the one that I've had before. He also says not only does he want to know the person, the power of Christ, but he wants to know the participation of Christ. And when he says, I want to know the sufferings of Christ. How would, you, how would you like to volunteer to suffer for Christ? Christ came as a servant. And in order to serve, he had to suffer. 
And if you're going to be a servant of Jesus and become a minister of the gospel of grace and a minister who is ministering by the power of Christ, you're going to have to die to yourself and it's going to require suffering. And he's saying, I want to participate with Christ in this ministry that he's called me to, and I know that it requires suffering if I'm going to serve. And we must, as we begin the new year, die to self so that we might serve the Lord. He wants to participate in this incredible service and the suffering of Christ, but he also not only wants to participate with Christ, he wants to fulfill the purpose of Christ, which is to become what? Become like Jesus. So that I might become like Jesus, to become more like him. That's the purpose that Christ has in his life, to conform him, to transform him, to mold him, to shape him into looking like, representing, reflecting the likeness of Jesus. The Apostle Paul wants that purpose to be fulfilled, and he wants to look every day more like Jesus. And lastly, he says, I want to also experience or know the perseverance of Christ because he talks about this resurrection from the dead. He's well aware that, that this work that God is doing in his life to perfect him in the likeness of Christ will not end until the day of reckoning, until the day when Christ returns as he promised he would. And those of us who in Christ will be caught up together with him in the clouds and will be forever with the Lord. And Christ is persevering in his life. Christ is not going to give up on the Apostle Paul. He's going to continue to perfect him and to mold him and shape him. In spite of his stubborn rebellion and his sinfulness. Because Paul said, you know, the very things I want to do, I don't do. And the very things I want to do, I don't do. Woe is me. And, and God's not giving up on the Apostle Paul. And I don't know where you think you are today and what mistakes you think you have made. But God's not giving up on you. And he's going to persevere and he's going to continue to, to hound you. And he's going to continue to, 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 to seek you out, to draw you in, and to conform you into the likeness of Christ. And God is calling us, as he did through the Apostle Paul to this church in Philippi, he's calling us to set the priority to know Christ in this way, to know Christ in a much deeper, fuller, more intimate, more personal sense than we've ever known him before. That should be our priority for 2016, to know Christ. I would say that's a pretty, pretty good thing, wouldn't you? It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a goal, it's an objective that you could do. To just get to know him and make that the priority of 2016. I want to know you, Jesus, more in 2016 than I did in 2015. So it not only starts with a set of priorities, but it, secondly, it then seeks spiritual maturity. The Apostle Paul is saying you need to seek spiritual maturity. Notice what he says in verse 12. In verse 12 he says, not that I am, have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul wants to grow spiritually. I mean, if you can imagine the Apostle Paul who wrote half of the New Testament is saying, I need to grow spiritually. Quite frankly, there's some of us in this room, like the ones that the Apostle Paul is writing to in the Philippian church, way back in the beginning of the church, who believe they don't need to grow spiritually. Because you know what? I know everything. I've read that verse a hundred times. I've studied that book 45 times. 
And there's nothing I need to know more and go beyond from what I need to know. But the Apostle Paul, none of us in here, in this room, I guarantee you, including myself, measure up to the spiritual development of the Apostle Paul. And if the Apostle Paul says, I need to seek to grow spiritually, we too should seek to grow spiritually. We are a church that believes that we must disciple believers and that we as Christ followers are on a continual progression of growing spiritually. And in 2016, we hope to provide things to you and for you to grow spiritually. And you should take advantage of those things. You've not yet arrived. And the Apostle Paul says, in order for me to seek maturity, there are three things I need to do. It requires an assessment of where I am spiritually. Notice that he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Paul says, I'm still a work in progress. I'm still a work in progress. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're still a work in progress. Go ahead, tell him. Looking back in the eye, I said, so are you. So am I. So are we. We are all a work in progress. I like how the Canadians say it. They say process. There's a process. That means it's ongoing. It's an ongoing process in which God is doing in your lives. And the Apostle Paul said, I have not yet arrived. I am still a work in progress. Not only that, but notice he says, or am already perfect. I am still not perfect. The Apostle Paul is honestly admitting, I am not yet perfect. Everyone in here is imperfect with the exception of me. For those of you who are visiting, that's a joke in this church. Okay? I'm not that kind of person. None of us in this room are perfect. You're imperfect. I'm imperfect. We're imperfect. We're an imperfect church that's striving to grow, striving to grow spiritually. Because of our imperfections, we are seeking to be conformed into the likeness of Christ, and he alone is perfect. And the Apostle Paul said, not that I've already obtained this, or am already perfect. Are you willing to assess your spiritual development and to come to terms with your imperfections and your need to grow spiritually? And unless you assess yourself properly, you're not going to grow spiritually. It requires an, an honest assessment of where you are and what you lack and what you need in order to make that a reality in your life. Not only was he willing to do an assessment, but he was willing to, to do some activity in regard to making that happen. Because, you know what, you can say, well, I'm going to grow spiritually, but you do absolutely nothing to grow spiritually. Are you going to grow spiritually? You know, one of the great things about winter is that grass doesn't grow in the winter. Amen? Grass doesn't grow in the winter. Why? It stops. Praise God. I still walk my yard with a mower. I will admit it pushes itself mostly. But I still walk it, and it's about a third, uh, two-thirds of an acre, maybe. It's a lot of yard to mow. But I'm so thankful that my grass has stopped growing. And so it requires no activity anymore. It, it requires no activity when you stop growing spiritually. When you, when you stop the activity, you stop growing. Matter of fact, I'm convinced in the Christian life, you can't stand still very long. Because of the, of the tide in the world that is constantly putting its pressure against us, you don't stay stagnant very long. Because of the pressure of the culture, we're, we're more than likely regressing rather than standing still. It's just a slow regression that we often don't recognize the regression that's happening in our lives. But the Apostle Paul is saying, but I press 
on to make it my own. That word pressing on means that he is actively a part of the process that God is doing to mature, to grow, and to develop him. He is not stagnant just saying, well, God, you grow me. Now, I don't know about you, but you know these beautiful three grandchildren I'll show you, they don't have to do much of anything to grow except sleep. That's not how it happens in, in, in spirituality. You can't fall asleep and just by osmosis expect to grow spiritually. You're going to have to do something. You're going to have to join God. And the Apostle Paul says, but I press on. I am joining God. I am pressing on. I am enduring. I am pushing against the tide of the culture and, and my own spirit and my own carnality so that I might, through that, might grow in the likeness of Christ. And notice, not only is there an assessment and activity, but there's an awareness because Christ Jesus made me his own. He has made me his own. He's well aware of his relationship with Christ and the purpose for which God has in his relationship with Christ, and that is to become more and more conformed to the likeness of Christ. And we must become aware, fully aware, that he desires us to grow spiritually. Will you seek spiritual development and spiritual maturity in 2016? Or you will just you just spiritually sleep and let it roll by and be the same old person you were in 2017 that you were in 2016 and 2015 and 2014 and, and so forth. It, it, it's really sad when there are 80-year-old people who have been Christians most of their lives who are spiritually immature. The Christian life wasn't meant to be that way. When you're 80, you should be more like Jesus than me who is... 35-something. <laughs> okay, I just lied. I'm sorry, Lord. But anyway, I said the something, okay? It's okay, something. Gives me some levity, you know, some, some boundaries there. Will you seek in 2016 to grow spiritually? The Apostle Paul said to start off strong, you need to set priorities, seek maturity. Number three, you need to shun hypocrisy. You need to shun hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is, is when I say that I am something, but I'm not. I claim to be something that I'm not. And in the church that the Apostle Paul is writing to, the Philippian church, there were some people who were claiming to be spiritually pure. They were claiming to be righteous. They were claiming to be sinless. Imagine that. Claiming to be sinless. Claiming to represent the likeness of Jesus. What disillusional people are these people? They were teaching this in the church. There, was, uh, there were a couple of a small group Bible studies in their homes where the people that were teaching were teaching, you can become sinless, you can become so like Christ that you don't have to ask for forgiveness of sin because you haven't committed any sin. I was in seminary once with a guy like that and we were asked to do a study on 1 John. And it talks about sin a lot in 1 John. If you don't know anything about it, you should. And he said, you know what? I haven't confessed sin in the last three weeks. I looked at him and said, what? He said, I haven't sinned in three weeks. I wanted to slap the guy. You're in seminary? How did you get in? And God helped the church that calls you as one of their ministers. He's an idiot. I just pulled a Trump thing, didn't I? Calling people names. I didn't tell him his name, but anyway. You're not sinless. You can claim it all day long to be perfect, but you're not. Or to make it in, incorrect grammatically, you ain't. Although ain't's in the, in the dictionary now. 
For the Apostle Paul says, brothers, he's appealing to those who are brothers in Christ. I do not consider that I have made it my own. Notice his confession. He's completely honest. I don't consider myself to be perfect. The Apostle Paul is saying, I don't consider myself to be perfect. Brothers, I, who started this church, who brought you the gospel, and you sat under my teaching and received Jesus, and I discipled you, I do not consider myself In spite of all that I've accomplished and achieved by following the letter of the law. If you remember the Apostle Paul, he was a legalist. He was a Pharisee. He was the top of his class. He was a guy that followed every letter of the law. He was a guy that was persecuting Christians because he thought they were a cult. And he was doing God a favor by annihilating them and putting them in prison. He was self-righteous of all the self-righteous, the legalist of the legalist. He believed the the, the law was good and he believed that he could keep every letter of the law until he met Christ on the road and, and, and all of a sudden he realized, I'm a sinner. He's saying here, I don't consider myself in spite of all I've done before I came to Christ and since I've been in Christ. Because the Apostle Paul has made some progress spiritually. I mean, he's writing this letter to the Philippian church. He's an incredible missionary. He's, he's grown spiritually, exponentially. And in spite of all of this growth, he's made, he said, I don't consider myself yet to have arrived. And notice he also says, in my own strength. Notice the humility. He's not only honest, but he's being humble. In spite of all I know, in spite of all I've done, and, and all the sermons that I've preached, and all the letters that I've written, and all the churches that I have started, and the people that I've won to faith in Christ through my evangelistic preaching, not counting the time when the guy was in a, a building, you know, on the, on the window, and while I was preaching, he fell asleep and he died. No, just don't count that. But in humility and honestly saying, I haven't yet, I've not arrived, that's his confession to these people. And yet many of us, when invitation time comes, we have a hard time confessing to each other, you know what, there's hypocrisy in my life. Instead of like the Apostle Paul saying, I am the chief of sinners. He's saying shun hypocrisy, but notice what he said. But one thing, one thing. To defeat hypocrisy, there's one thing you can do. One thing. He's talking about concentrating upon the one thing. Many of us have so many plates spinning in our spiritual development, our spiritual lives, that it's hard to keep one thing going. And he says, but one thing I do. What? Forgetting what lies ahead and straining toward what lies ahead. Lies behind and lies for you, you get it. You, scripture's on scripture. Sorry, I got it backwards. Forgetting what lies behind. The apostle Paul is saying, I don't run the race that God has called me to run by looking backwards. I forget what's behind me. I forget not only my failures, but I'm also forgetting my successes. Some of us are bogged down today and we can't go on with the Lord is because we have failed miserably in 2015 and we can't go on with God in 2016 because Satan keeps what we've done out in front of us and it becomes an obstacle in front of us and it trips us us up all the time. Put what's in front of you behind you. Forget it. That word forget is an interesting word. It means to suppress, to dismiss, and to overlook. It doesn't mean you can completely just wipe it slate clean, like, like push the delete button on your computer and it's gone forever. It's still back here somewhere, isn't it? 
So how do you forget it? He's not saying forget it in a sense. Learn from it, grow from it, acknowledge it, but move on. Let God's grace be sufficient to cover you of your failure and your sin. Or if you let sin bog you down, you can't forget and move on with God. Forget the past. Forget it. Seek his forgiveness. We confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But he says, not only do I forget the past, but I strain in the present. Notice he says, straining forward. I don't know about you, but that word straining implies effort, energy, agony, difficulty, strain. You're pushing against the tide, and you're straining for what lies ahead, for for what lies ahead is not only this beautiful transforming work of the Spirit of God so that you look more like Christ, but it's the ultimate end of becoming like Him and all the blessings and the benefits that result in the end transforming work of Christ that only completes itself, only completes itself when you die. That's it. It's a race that never ends until you breathe your last breath. And so he's saying, shun hypocrisy. He's, he's talking to some hypocrites. He's saying, you know, I've arrived spiritually. I'm sinless. I don't really need to progress anymore. And he's calling them hypocrites. And I think sometimes when I look in a spiritual mirror, I hear the Holy Spirit speaking in my life, you hypocrite. For how, how many times have you preached certain things and believed certain things and read certain things and not practiced those things? Or that in and of itself is hypocrisy. And if we are to progress in 2016 and live without regrets, anything hypocritical in our lives needs to be dealt with. Number four, we need to strive intentionally. Strive with an intentionality or intentionally like we've never strived before. There, there is a, there's a, an aspect here where the Apostle Paul is saying what we do, we need to do with purpose. There needs to be an intentionality about what we do. Because if we don't have an intentionality about what we do, if it's not intentional, we'll just meander our way through 2016 like we did 2015, and we'll, we'll wind up nowhere. Or we'll wind up not making the progress that God wants us to have. And notice what he says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is talking about the mark. He said, I press on toward. That word toward means to grab on. It means that he is bearing down and he is looking at the mark. As he is running his race, as he is on this spiritual journey, on this adventure, he is bearing down and he is locked in on the ultimate destination, the target, which is Jesus. He is not looking at anyone or anything else other than Jesus. I've said this before and I'll say it again. If Satan can't defeat you, he will defeat someone whose defeat will defeat you. Think about that. If Satan can't defeat you, he will defeat someone whose defeat will defeat you. Because too many times we have our eyes on the wrong mark. We have our eyes on the wrong target, on the wrong goal, on the wrong objective, and we look at people who are 
who are not flawless and who are sinful and who will never live up to perfection, only Jesus could, and their defeat will eventually defeat you because you're looking at the wrong mark. And you look at Jesus. The Apostle Paul is saying, the mark that I'm setting my target on is Jesus. I'm looking at nothing and no one else other than Christ. He is my mark. And in 2016, you need to set your eyes on Jesus and only Jesus, not on who's running for president or any political stuff or any church or any pastor, but keep your mark and your focus on Jesus and only him. He's the mark. Notice Paul's motive is the goal so that he can win the prize. That word goal means the target. It means the mark, but that target leads to a prize. He is running so that he might win the race. How many of you are competitive in here? Come on, be honest. You're competitive. Bob, you're not competitive? All right, your hand wasn't up, brother. Just asked Miss Wendy when a couple of semesters back we were playing volleyball, and I looked at her and I said, quit playing like a girl. We need to win this thing. I'm competitive. I like to win. The Apostle Paul is saying he is, he is in this adventure, he's on this journey to win what's at stake. It's the prize. The ultimate goal is to win the prize, the winner's victorious crown, the, the likeness of Jesus and all the blessings and the benefits of having run a good race. The Apostle Paul was hoping that God would say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have run a good race. You have fought a good fight. You've done well. You've pressed on toward the goal for the prize. Now here it is. Your prize is not in this world. Some of you say, well, that's good because I feel like I ain't got no prizes. Right? Your prize, if you, if, if you get some of the, that's just icing on the cake in this world. And I guarantee you, it's, it's not the real prize. The real prize is Jesus and what comes after this life. And what you do with God, what God has entrusted to you in this life so that as you reach your final destination, there's the eternal prize. Because anything that you accumulate or acquire, achieve here is only temporary. But what's done for him and in him is eternal. Because I've never seen a hearse being followed by a U-Haul trailer, have you? All that stuff stays here. I was sitting in my parents' uh, living room. Uh, yesterday morning, they're 80, dad's turning 81 years old, and I'm watching my parents get old. It's a shock, isn't it? Some of you know what I'm talking about. I'm watching my dad get old, this real strong missionary preaching machine that I used to know as a kid, getting old. He's not done yet. God's still using him as, a, as an interim pastor, but he's getting old. And I thought when I was sitting in that chair, as I was looking at their things in their living room, because we talked about that Actually, just Christmas, I'm the executor of his will. And I got to thinking about when he dies, and he and I talked about that just over the holidays. That's a shock, too, isn't it? Mark, you just lost your mom. It's shocking then, and all of a sudden, you got to divvy out the stuff that they've accumulated. Most of what they've done goes into garage sales, <laughs> a lot of it. Their treasured stuff is sold in garage sales, or stuff that nobody wants, really. And then to spend all of our lives for that kind of stuff, is that the real prize? I would think not. And for those who waste their lives on those prizes, what a waste. And so he said, I, I, my motive is the prize. 
My mark is Jesus. My mission, notice, is the upward call of God. God has called me. He has called me with a specific mission in mind. Not the mission of proclaiming the gospel, but a personal mission of reflecting the likeness of Christ. It came from God to him to become more and more like Christ. To strive with an intentionality that, that, that doesn't waver, that is fixed, that is tight, that is progressive, and that's, that's going with an intentionality that, that people and things are not going to distract me when I'm going to move in him. Then lastly, we need to show consistency. To start off strong, I need to, I need to show consistency throughout the year. It's one thing to start off strong, but it's another thing to finish strong. How many jobs at your house, those, you know, those endless I-need-to-do list things that you've started but you've not finished? Anybody got those? Yeah, that's what I thought. And, and there's nothing worse than starting something and never finishing it. And we need to, we need to be consistently people who are slowly, methodically, intentionally pursuing this consistency of, of knowing Christ and walking in the power of Christ and knowing Christ. Notice what he says in, in verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it, that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. He says in order to show consistency, he says, first of all, verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. Now, as you take a look at this on the surface, you know, he just talked about the fact that he hasn't reached a state of maturity yet. Now he's saying those of us who are mature. And Paul's not sort of contradicting himself, saying, well, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not mature yet, but I need to mature. But, he, but here he's saying, I have matured some. I have initiated the process, and I have grown spiritually. I have. And there are some of you out there that he's writing to, and he's saying to this, some of you have initiated the process of growing spiritually. And, and so you, you have matured some. And for those of us who have initiated this process and we are growing spiritually because we're moving, we're progressing more and more like Jesus every day, we're growing spiritually, you need to think like I have just written about. You need to think, I'm not yet there yet. I'm not perfect. I'm not sinless. I still have room to grow. And I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection permeating and developing and, and emulating through my life. That's what I want. And so he's saying we need, to, we need to watch continuously because there are false teachers out there, false preachers out there, false writings out there. There are false concepts, ideas, and understandings that would contradict that and cause us then to think differently than what we should. One, one case in point is our own ego. <laughs> Seriously, our own ego. So you know what? I look at some other people out there, and I think I've progressed pretty well. I'm a lot further than they are. Is that, a, is that a right way to think or a wrong way to think? And once you begin in that kind of thought, what happens? You're in trouble. You need to guard, watch continuously yourself and others coming into your life. I have a hard time with, with, with affirmations and with compliments because I know my flesh. You know your flesh. We need to be really, really careful 
with what we think we know because we don't know as much as we think we know and God is bigger than, 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 than we are and we can't always put him in a box. And he says, not only should you watch continuously, but you need to welcome, notice he welcomed correction. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you. And he's saying to those in this church of Helibi, there's some men and women in your church you're saying differently than what I'm saying. Don't listen to men, listen to God. Listen to God. And God will reveal it to you. And in 2016, you and I need to constantly, continuously, as we seek an intimate love relationship of knowing him deeper and fuller and with more meaning and more, more service and more sacrifice and more surrender, we, we come to that realization. And, and as we're entering into that relationship, he reveals things into our lives that need to be added, and he reveals things that need to be removed. He reveals thoughts that are not right, and he places thoughts that are right, and God will reveal it to you. And God will come into our lives in 2016 and he will correct our course and he will correct our lives and he will, he will convict us of sin so that we might reflect the likeness of Christ. And then lastly, he said, you need to walk correctly. He said, only let us hold true to what we have already attained. That's the idea of a soldier because when we're saved, we're in a spiritual battle we become soldiers of the cross, and we are to get in line as a soldier in a, in, a, in a battlefield behind others following Jesus. So we need to hold true consistently to what we've attained so that we can progress even more. So as we close, here's the question. Where do you think you will be this time next year? Where do you think you will be this time next year? Where do you hope to be this time next year? I'm going to close with this story because I love the bowl games. They're all over. But on New Year's Day in 1929, Georgia Tech versus California, late in the second quarter, Royal Regals recovered a fumble for California and in the excitement became confused about which end zone was the right end zone and began to run in the wrong direction. Yeah, the wrong direction. That means he was running toward his own end zone. After running and being chased by his own players, he was finally tackled by his own teammates on their two-yard line. California attempted to punt deep into their own end zone but the kicker was blocked, and Georgia Tech scored a safety. In the locker room at halftime, Roy sat in the corner with his face buried into his hands, crying. The room was silent. The coach didn't make the usual halftime speech, but shortly before the team was supposed to take their place out of the field, he said, the starting team is going out onto the field for the second half as we did in the first half. The same starting team. In other words, he wasn't going to penalize Roy for making a huge mistake. Regals, the player who made the mistake, said, I can't do that, coach. I can't go out there anymore. He said, I can't play anymore. I have ruined the game. I have ruined the team. Listen to what the coach said. Get up, Regals, he said. The game is only half over. You belong on the field. Your game is not over. 
You belong in the field. You belong in the, on the track. You belong as a major player in which God wants to utilize you for his glory. And you, no matter how many mistakes or how many successes you have had in the first half of your life, there is still a second half to play. And there was a team during the bowl game that was losing. I think it was, what was it, Rocky? Where are you, Rocky? 31 to 0. We talked about that a while ago. They were losing 31 to 0 at the half and came back to win in the second half. Don't measure your life by your first half. There's a second half. There's more life to live. There are more wars to fight. There are more enemies to conquer. There's more sin to overcome. There are more people who need to know Christ. And we together can finish well if we will look at 2016 from his vantage point, from his view and see that all things are possible to those who believe. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let's pray. Good morning. I can think of no better way to begin the new year than celebrating God's activity in the lives of a couple of young men. About two years ago, a young lady walked in with her family, uh, just seeking a place to come and experience life with the church family. As a result of that, Melissa, the mom, came to know Jesus as her personal Savior and Lord and gave her testimony through baptism. And as a result of God's activity in her life and in the life of her family. Today, her two sons come to give their testimony of having received Christ as Savior and Lord. We're going to do uh, Titus and Gideon today. So if you are part of Titus's and Gideon's family, their life group, uh, or have invested in their lives in some way, would you stand? Titus, have you asked Jesus to come into your heart to be your Savior and your boss? And is it your desire to follow him and be his disciple for the rest of your life? Because of that decision, it's my privilege this morning to get to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life.
This is Gideon. Gideon, have you asked Jesus to come into your heart to be your Savior and your boss? And is it your desire to be his disciple for the rest of your life? Yes. Because of that decision, it's my privilege this morning to get to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life.